Hello, and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yes, we are. And do, does it sound like I have a cold? I just noticed uh, that it sounds a little congested. Uh, a lot better than you have been for the last <laughs> you know, week and a half. You know, I, I've actually, you asked me when I first got this, if I got a, a COVID, COVID test. I'm vaccinated. I actually got COVID a long time ago. So I'm like, I shouldn't. I got it from all the rugrats, all the kids running around, and they had sniffles like two weeks ago, and I ended up getting hit with a pretty hard cold, which was worse than COVID. So maybe I get the Delta variant. I don't know. All the testing places near me are closed. Like once the vaccine started rolling out, they they all just picked up, and but I bet I could get it. Anyways, I'm a little congested, but feeling wonderful. Anecdotally, uh, it seems like there's a number of people that have both had the Delta after the vaccine or... They got tested. They didn't have Delta, but they came down with something like that was a pretty serious flu. So it does right. seem to be roaring back in some sense, even if it is not COVID. Yeah, I think it might be. Who knows? I can definitely taste and smell though. So that was the one thing I definitely lost when I got. So who knows? Hopefully I'm building that immunity, getting my immune system back to where it needs to be. But this week we wanted to talk a little bit about what services, how we work on these mini private equity businesses, micro private equity businesses. Yeah, I think services in general, everyone plays it a little differently in the private equity world or the holding company world. So we can talk about that. And then I know you have pretty strong opinions of services in the startup studio model because uh, you ran yeah. that for us. So I think that would be interesting for people to hear the history and how we think about it today. Yeah. And it's an evolution. I think we talked to, we were guests on a podcast and with, I think it was Andrew Pierno and he was in a startup studio that was based in California and they were doing something similar. But one of the things that I think I learned, and I'll, I'm just going to dive right into a little bit of history. So I ran, I started a software development agency probably, what, 17 years ago, something like that, a long time ago. It was just myself and hired a couple employees. And over time, I had about you know 10 employees and wanted to get out of that business because it sucked. It was uh, just a people business. It was like, you're constantly feeding the beast, trying to get more work in. And it was just a, a merry-go-round. It was profitable. It was a good business from that respect, but it just got boring, frankly. And so we had started doing, or I had started doing convertible notes with clients. So they were startups and I would do some work at a discounted rate. We were at the time charging, I don't know, anywhere for 150 to 250 an hour. And so we'd go down to $75 an hour. And for every, every hour we worked, we earned, it was essentially like convertible debt. So we would still cover our costs and make a little bit of margin. And so we did that with a couple of clients and they were not great startups. And so I thought a lot about that and I got connected somehow with Paul Lee and he was he had started Ronin, which was this basically studio model incubator where they were going around and spinning up new businesses from from scratch, raising a little bit of money or drawing money down from a, an existing fund and spinning up a, a startup and internally building the product, designing it, getting it, testing it, going to market and all these things, basically going from zero to one, finding a CEO, um, not too different from... I guess what, what we're up to in a way, except we're not going from zero to one, we're taking a business and trying to install a CEO and an operating team and, and then set it off and let it do its thing. Recap though, it was a little bit different of a, a model where the reason for joining with them was I was bad at picking companies. And I actually didn't really know anything about, I didn't really know what a convertible note was. I knew 
there would be some potential upside for me or I was getting some form of equity. I had no idea net what I know now, which is after four years of spending time in, in the venture capital world, is like all the, the nuances around it and the experience I have now. So that was really the goal of joining that group. And I, I would say to that end, it's been super successful. I've learned venture capital. I've learned fundraising, helped raise the $175 million, $175 million fund and gotten tons of experience looking at deals, evaluating deals, how fundraising from LPs works to deploying capital and, and all that whole scene. So it's been like, I don't want to offend your MBA, but it's been a form of an MBA, right? I didn't go to business school, but it was it rubbed off enough to learn something about a very specific space. But then came the question is once I, I brought my company into this, basically like a VC fund, how does it work? What are the mechanics around? And we didn't know. We knew that some people were doing this thing. And so when I say a studio model, just to, to add a definition there, it was we have a, a set of resources. There was a marketing capacity. So there was another company that was run by other, other co-founders that did performance marketing, ad spend, and then my group, which was, hey, we'll design, build, support your product. So get it out the door and, and, and write code and all that good stuff. So these two services are available to you, or you don't have to use us, but that was the whole thing. And, and so we were pitching to CEOs that had done it once before. So we were definitely marketing to folks that had tried to start a business from scratch, raise money, find a co-founder, find a technical co-founder, find, find a marketing co-founder, whatever it is, they realized the, the value of having some help. And so that's what, who we would pair up with. And it worked really well. We had a couple of wins. We have a couple of businesses that are still in the running and, and growing and, and raising at, at significant marks, but we have a few ventures that just fall on their face. The biggest- Brag a little bit for you. Paro just raised a $120 million valuation, something like that. They just raised a series yeah. B, $25 million. So that's the most successful one yeah. out of the fund so far. Out of the fund um, so far. Yeah. And so what did we do for Paro in the beginning? Not much. We, we made decks, fundraising decks for them. We did a lot of, we I think we made their brand, which I think they're still using. We built a bunch of prototypes of product and, and whatever else, but they they were smart in the sense that they were quick to hire a, C, a CTO and get their own tech team up and running. And what we saw is when the failure case is an over-reliance on the studio. It's like they ne- they would never hire, they would wait too long to make these internal hires. And we still invoice these people. It was definitely, it was a cost plus model. So this is the the topic I really want to dive into. So the, the long and short of it is like, how do you keep talent around? So when I talk about talent, I'm on the studio side. And how do you incentivize them to work on projects where they're not getting their full, and they don't really know that they're necessarily, they know they're working at a, a discount to an extent, but like, they're also not necessarily getting that equity. And when it comes time for bonuses and whatever else, it's, it's a little bit tighter of a belt to work with. It was like burning the candle at both ends, which, but I think our model worked really well because I've heard of like the Andreessen model where they have a bunch of experts. And what I've heard the challenges there is getting people interested in enough in your business to work on it. So there's a scarce set of resources there's no real incentive for them to work on one thing than other than their belief that you're going to turn into the next unicorn. So if you're like a, an ugly company in, in that portfolio, good luck getting anybody to help you from the fun side. And way too much demand and like not nearly enough supply of people to help out. So like you, they overpromise, and then it's just well, good luck actually accessing any of that you know talent that we promised you. <laughs> yeah. So 
And then on the flip side is if you can't just have a bunch of people kicking around waiting for the next idea to start, which is if you've ever run an agency, timing is everything. Being able to ramp people off of a long running project and then ramp up onto the next one, there's an art to that. And I got pretty good at that. And that was one of the things that as we raised the fund, I was getting in front of LPs and talking a lot about. And that was one of the, you could tell like the sophisticated LPs would understand like, okay, you have 10 people, you have 20 people, like how do you pay for them? Is that my fees that are paying for them? And it never was because we were really disciplined. And that's, I think, to both our detriment and our benefit, like the benefit was definitely to the LPs. We were way more, nobody got a salary that didn't earn it. If like, we were never upside down on people. But then again, we also had to, you know, charge for costs. So it was like a very difficult exercise in keeping everybody busy all the time. There was very little bench time. And that put a ton of stress on me. Okay, I'm running this PL. I've got three people working on one project, three people working on another. And that was always the thing is trying to structure small three person teams to, to work for a six to eight to 12 week period on a project and try to run agile, do all these things where cost runaways or rabbit holes weren't going down, which was super challenging. But the thing that we stuck with that I would say looking at Vern and and if we wanted to do a similar model, which I think you and I have been kicking around the idea of who's going to work on these things. Do we build that back to the company? How does it, how is that structured? Does it come out of fees? Is it paid for by the fund? We we're still in this like early stage figuring it out, but I think the best way is to keep it how it, it was done at builders, which was, you can't lose money on the studio. That can't be a thing. That's like a source of where all the fees are going and not actually benefiting the businesses. And so it was like a market model, whether if the portfolio companies didn't use the studio, then it was the market saying these people aren't adding value. And it was a really hard conversation where we had some people that are super talented that the portfolio companies loved. And in some cases, we actually let them move over and, and I shouldn't say let them, but they were that's why they were there is to get involved with early stage startup, getting access to that and then going and working for them and getting off my PL and onto theirs. But mm -hmm. the hard question there is like, is that sustainable? And it definitely wasn't. It was like super hard to manage. I, there was no, I didn't have any float, I should say, like from the fund, like there was zero, if my PL was negative, like I was negative. And that was not a place that we wanted to be. And it was stressful. The question is, is like how much is subsidized by the fund through fees or carry or whatever, well, fees in this case. And then how much is actually coming from these companies? And you don't really want to be like profitable on these companies, but you also want to be able to compensate people and get good talent. Those are the two, it's a long version of getting it. Those are the two decisions to find yourself at when you have a studio or sort of internal services servicing these companies. So I've been talking to other people in our position that are setting up funds and on their way. It, some people want way more stuff housed in the head office. So like a lot of marketing, uh, some products, back office stuff, finance operations. And then some people want nothing. They want it like a radically slim front office, everything pushed down to the portfolio companies. And so if you look at how other people that are doing this well do it, they, they go on all different directions. So Andrew Wilkinson and Tiny, they push everything down to the companies. And it's like just capital allocation has happens at the head office and like acquiring new businesses. And so their only job basically is to hire and fire CEOs. And then if they want any like centralized activity, they'll spin out a new agency. 
new agency focused on that. So like a growth agency or something. Sure. And then all the companies will charge full freights. So all the agencies will charge full freight to the companies. And so it's like the companies could go with any agency, but we have this one agency that's maybe knows your business already. And it's like a pre-approved as like a, a solid agency. Yeah. So that, and, and that the, is the other option. part of it. The other part of it that is a huge benefit is we were always in-house in the same building as all, you know, in the same office with all these people. And so there was a huge benefit to that, but the full freight thing on startups for VC, it just wouldn't fly. It's just every CEO we talk to, they want a deal. They want, they really don't want to touch that cash as much as, you know, they'd like to. But then again, it probably is a better motivator to to not be relying on the agency and just know it's, it's an agency. And I think for these more established businesses, the paying full freight makes a lot more sense. Cause what are your alternatives? Like you can either hire. And I think to me, the question is if you have a playbook that involves like a heavy front loaded lift where it's like, Hey, every business we buy, we redo the front end of their web app, or we brush up their marketing. If that's your playbook, then I think it likely makes a, a ton of sense to have the studio, but if it's not, and I love the idea of looking at constellation where it's like, Hey, buy the business, allocate capital. That's it. We're, we're not involved. So Mark Leonard is very similar to Andrew in the way it's structured. So they have a lot of learnings across their whole portfolio, but those learnings exist as mostly like, you know, conversion rate on the you know top of funnel should be this. Right. And if it's not, it's probably because of these things. And that exists as like a document. And then as in people that can talk to other people at other companies, not as like, uh, I don't know, a SEAL team or something that just dives in and fixes it all up if you acquire a new company. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've been spending a lot of time looking at Robert Smith and Vista. Mm. And they operate very differently. They have uh, VCG, so Vista Consulting Group, which is, I don't know, McKinsey or something, like a high-end agency that has this 110 point playbook that they use. And this is definitely what they pitch VCs. I don't know if it's 110 points, so it's just good marketing. But they have this big list of things that they get, they go through and they deploy in every new company that they acquire. And they are uber confident that any company they acquire, they can make significantly more profitable with these like standard operating procedures. So they are known to pay much higher amounts and even to buy like high growth, very large multi-billion dollar tech companies because they're so confident that they can improve them pretty dramatically. There are, and I've, I've spoken to other people that work in proper private equity, and there's a lot of management or the front office or whatever you want, the head office that's making a decision that, hey, you, you got to go with a McKinsey or a Deloitte. And they're actually, they get plugged into every single project. So if you're of that mindset, you might as well own that business and know you're taking some of that with you or reaping some of that margin. But I, I, don't have a conclusion here, but I would err on the side of the Wilkinsons and the the Mark Leonard's where let them make their own decisions. Not to say I don't want to work on these projects. And at the scale we're at, like with Blink Sale, like I'm working a lot on it. We're doing the work ourselves. It's a first deal. We want to uh, show the most gains on it, which probably is a little artificial. So I'm not, we're not paying ourselves. We allocated cash. We have people helping us. Sure. We have contractors here and there. We're going to be able to show a little bit more, I think, progress for our capital allocation because we're actually putting that sweat into it, which I don't really think we plan on doing on on future deals as much. 
Yeah, as far as lifestyle goes, like it would be way nicer to just focus on buying great companies and then putting great CEOs in place. And then you're making one decision to make, you know, hundreds of decisions because it's the CEO's job to, you know, recruit and hire and make all the, you know, more minor decisions around the company running. Yeah, that is definitely the most leveraged position you, you could be in. But yeah, in the short term, we are in such an early phase. To me, I think there's uh, a well worth, even if it's lower leverage, it's well worth showing, hey, we're going to be able to show gains and a better track record, which will allow us to unlock. Where does that get us? It, what does that unlock by, by taking these lower leverage things? So it's always stepwise. You got to be patient. I, I don't feel like we are in a position to necessarily do that just yet, but we're getting closer. You know, that's where I think the fundraise kind of question comes in, right? It's if you can raise that capital now, then great, put a fund together, do it. The feedback we're getting is people really want to see track record. People want to see a couple of deals where it's been, these guys know what they're doing. They're not ass clowns and actually can put up good numbers. Yeah, it certainly helps. And it really doesn't matter a ton if the goal is to pay yourselves. Like there's all different ways you can do it. You could take a management fee from an independent sponsor deal. You could take a closing fee, like a percent of the, the closing price to pay yourself for the searching period. The two and 20 is just nice because it's, it's consistent. You're getting that too. It's like a consistent salary, even if it equals roughly whatever the closing and management fee would be. It's just uh, less lumpy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways. We were Going back to the studio model, we were we had a general like concept of fairness. And I think I learned that was probably one of the best things I learned from the GP was there was no subsidy, right? There was no free lunch. There was no like, oh, you're just going to take these fees and, and put them and help you like keep people on your staff and keep yourself on payroll for e even to that point where it's like, hey, this has to make sense. This is, this is a real business. This is not just because it's a fund and sure, we raised a, a, a lot of money. That's for deployment of capital. It's not to subsidize things that people aren't using or seeing value of. And that comes down to a week by week, month by month basis. So I think it's when you look at the, the world that exists, when you have all these services, it has to be a little cut. You have to still treat it like a real business, like a cash business, not like a fund that's floating around and living on fees and whatever else. There, there has to be no fluff there because I think it's, that's the right way to keep it in check. Cause could you imagine keeping, I don't know, two to three people, four to five people, however many are along that aren't really adding value and it's just dead weight. And so I think that's the one thing is we look at a services model. If you do it, you've got to be super diligent around how you manage it and almost do it in not a ruthless way, but a, you have to be realistic with yourself. Are these things actually adding real value to the portfolio? And if not, cut it, it's got to go. And you can yeah. always kind of reboot that stuff. That's why I think Andrew's model is so clever because every business has to stand on its own and right. you, you know, control demand to a certain extent. Like you could almost stand up an agency with all the demand that you control, and then it has to be self-sufficient. So yeah. you give some kind of entrepreneurial head of the agency, maybe a few months salary to get going. And then it's, you eat what you kill. You got to, you know, stand mm -hmm. up your own business. You got to find your own. Um, and then I was asking people in a similar position to us that are standing up funds. Have you looked at just acquiring a growth agency? It'd be pretty nice to have one kind of attached to you. And so I, I don't know if it ever makes sense to go down that path, probably only if they are pretty profitable. Otherwise you should just build your own and steal the people away and stand it up yourself. 
Yeah, but the thing is like you buy this business and then you say, hey, work with my portfolio. And again, if they don't pay full freight, you're going to crater that agency. That's exactly what happened with my agent, which I, I knew it was going to happen. That was part of the plan is, okay, I'm going to stop trading the cash for future portfolio, like equity value. And that's what I wanted. I, I wanted to, the cash is great and all, but it just, it's just a merry-go-round. It keeps going around and you work and you work. And it's, is there a way to, to get a higher multiple on just that one-to-one -one hour to time? Or it's still had employees doing it. And I was also participating in the work, but that is the part where I think Andrew has it. Is you can't do a, a lesser amount. And then if the agency you acquire decides, hey, all of your portfolio companies suck, I don't want to work with them, they, they don't pay my rates, then you still at least have a profitable business there and you don't impact their ability to be profitable with all your pet projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a clever model or a clever solution to a problem that a lot of people are encountering. Yeah, yeah, I think it's right. It goes back to that fairness sort of doctrine. Okay, if it has value, you pay what it's worth. And so for startups, I think that's where you run into a lot of problems because there's just so many constraints and startups really shouldn't be using agencies, right? If you just started a business, you're the CEO and you have no one on your team, your job should be recruiting good people to help you out. It should not be going to the red antlers of the world and doing a hundred thousand dollar branding exercise. Maybe if you have a candle company, I don't know, but that'd be a weird startup. Yeah. It's a uh, red antler is a lot more than a hundred thousand dollars. I think it's like a few hundred thousand dollars to get a branding done with them. And they have to be like, you have to be one of the chosen ones. Cause they turn down like all the work they get approached with. Yeah. We hired, we had a portfolio company using it. It was a hundred thousand. Oh, it was? For just a brand. Yeah. And, and the company's not around anymore. So <laughs> go figure. That being said, not to the detriment of the founders. They were great. It was just a very hard space. It was something in the aftercare space and the death space, which is implicitly difficult. But yeah, they they wanted to, they, they did a great job, but it they just it was like not, not quite the right thing. The one that I know that paid, they paid more. It's a different <laughs> company home as well, but they're dead as well. <laughs> mm. So it didn't save them. Their beautiful brand did not save them in the long run. Yeah. Well, you never know what can be resuscitated in that world. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the world like that's the world I've come from, though, is like that New York agency world where things are cycling through at a pretty fast clip. And if you compare work for a startup versus, hey, you're doing brand work for AT&T through some giant agency, it's, it runs at a similar pace. There are a lot of similarities, but there's a vastly different business behind it when you're working for some massive global company that has no problem dropping $100,000 a month or whatever it is per these agencies, at least a hundred thousand a month. Yeah. Hey, anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I just think that that's something we're working through as, as we're working on the business we do have. And then as we look at sort of these future deals, it's like, where does the fun get involved? Because part of me thinks a studio is a huge value add. Part of me thinks it's a huge pain in the ass. So it's like, where do we net out on the idea? I'm of the mindset as of right now you can quote me on this, is like the hands-off approach to let the CEO decide. And if they want to work with somebody that was internal, or if we even have internal resources, having that, that Wilkinson model, that full freight model is, is the way to be. Yeah. I think for starting, it doesn't make sense to start up a investment fund, investment firm, and an agency at the same time. So I want the shared playbook, which we'll develop and share across but mostly it'll be in the form of connecting the right people together, connecting yeah. the CMOs together, the head of paid marketings together, then standing up your own separate thing that you have to manage. But yeah, at some point you get big enough, maybe it makes more sense to have those shared services. 
Cool. Until next time, we'll chat about something else fund related. Yeah. Next week, I will talk about Robert Smith. I've done a bunch of research on this. I just got to clean up all my notes. Nice. So that'll be a fun deep dive. Very different than a, a constellation, the complete opposite. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll hopefully elaborate more on the uh, software smells or tastes like chicken. Concept. Exactly. <laughs> I've said it so much. I had to research it a little bit more. <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.